Yes, sir. Here we are. One down, one to go. Tiger tailgating. It is game day. I even got goosebumps, man. I'm it's, digging it. The temperature went down a little bit in here. Yeah, but I mean, it's, come on. It's been a while <laughs> since we've seen LSU play. Well, and you know what? The last time we saw him play was 72-71 <laughs> or whatever the, the final score was. And, and, and we got really, really screwed out of that game. Got hosed. A few times by the refs. And the uh, game should have been over at, at, at regulation. Done. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the Tigers are not. That's another thing you got to think about. Are they still hungover from that game? I hope not. I would think that with 15 bowl practices, four weeks later, now, and a bowl game, and a bowl be. game on New Year's Day, yeah, which yeah, is a yeah. significant accomplishment Absolutely. for this LSU, uh, LSU football team. Yes, I don't think that's a, a concern. If there is an area of concern for me, I'm talking about LSU against UCF. How will they handle the tempo of UCF? They they like to go fast. I agree. And with so many moving parts, new faces on defense, how will they handle that that tempo? From the Golden Knights. And new faces meaning less depth as well. Right. So that's that's going to be the difficult part about it. Um, it's, can, can you keep up? Can you, Will you do it? I mean, hey, man, you're in Arizona. Um, it's, the air is going to be a little – it won't be Drier. as thick. It won't be as thick as here. Right. So you should be able to handle it a little bit better. Um, and then they're going to be indoors. I'm, ho- I'm hoping that they'll have the – The roof open? Yeah, the roof. That's a beautiful stadium, University Close of Phoenix whatever, Stadium. Really. Yeah, yeah. I've been beautiful. there a few times. But, look, man, this is a golden opportunity for Coach, for coach O. And for the Tigers to to do something significant here, not only for this season but moving forward, like you said, building on that that recruiting class that we had this late December. Yeah, it's an opportunity to to tell college football, hey, LSU is back We're to coming. being considered. We're coming. We're back to being considered, uh, you know, one of the power one of the power teams in college football, one of the one of the t- the contenders year in and year out. We, yeah, we've been spent the last hour talking about how there's a lack of parity in college football, but for LSU to go from Predicted to win the over and under with seven wins, and potentially if you if you win today against UCF, which I think they will, yeah. then that that not just ten wins, and that's a significant accomplishment for an LSU team that was very young, very uncertain as to as to how they, it was all going to shake out. And yep. and man, if you get ten wins, hats off to Coach O and that staff, and hats off to the players. And what I like most about this team is that they've never let they've blocked out all the outside noise. They've mm-hmm. never let those prognosticators like me affect their their play. Hey, yep. they think that they think that we're a seven-win team. Well, we're going to go out and show them we are much better than a seven-win team from the first game against Miami. Yeah. And by the way, how about the surprise retirement of Mark Rick? Yeah, Miami? that's well. I mean, you know, Mark, Mark. I thought he would retire after he left Georgia, but it was kind of tough for him. He had a really great, great season the first year in Miami. Then the, the last, the next two was so-so. But I mean, you can clearly see he lost that team this year. Yeah, he, he lost whatever he his mojo was that he had. But you know, it is what it is. But you know, the the thing about LSU this year, man, that, that really has me excited about moving forward is just like I was saying earlier, um, you know, how the the, the, the the Nick Saban recipe defense, and then he, he, now he adds that offense, and on top of all of that, the recruiting that he does. But he also brings in the staff around it to be able to teach these guys, you know, how to be the best that they can be. And he generates the best out of those guys. You know what? I think Coach O is getting to that point, not to Nick Saban level-ish, but he's got the right guys around him. Now, if we can continue to build our staff and make sure that we can develop each and every one of our players, I think we'll be okay. You said the key word, develop. Because, mm-hmm. look, e- even Les Miles and when it started to go downhill for Les Miles, at LSU and Alabama, wouldn't you agree that the athletes are pretty much the same? Similar. Right? Yep. There's, yep. Not a, there's not a vast difference the in The only talent. difference is Alabama may have one or two more guys at a certain depth versus uh, agree, us. Agree, but in terms of – with the talent. physicality, it's, it's pretty the much the same, yeah. right? Yeah. They're the same recruits. They're the same players. 
the difference with with Nick Saban in Alabama development exactly he, he it's not just the procurement of talent yep. but it's the development of that talent I always you know what I go back to and I, and, I, and I don't know I may get some flack for this but I go back to JT Curtis all of his teams that he's ever had throughout his whole coaching career he's always developed everyone that's played on his team he may not have always had the best talent but he can take whatever talent he had and turn it into a championship caliber team and I think that's what Saban does now the one thing that I've always been, I guess, a little upset about at LSU since Saban left was the fact that we never, ever developed our quarterbacks. We never, ever really truly developed our receivers. I mean, you think about it, we've got Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, two of the best receivers in the NFL, and they were they were good at best at LSU. They had flashes of being great, but we the reason, we because we didn't develop the quarterbacks, the passing game, and also our offensive linemen, which we have – it's crazy because all of these guys are playing in the NFL, offensive right. linemen, running backs, quarterbacks, receivers, and everybody. How can we not be at the top echelon of, of college be. football? That, that speaks to That's coaching exactly and what you said. We have the talent, but we just had to develop. Look, that, that offense with Mettenberger at, at quarterback, that was one of the best passing out. offenses that LSU's out. had yep. in, their, in their history. Yep. And they were really good. Yep. Uh, let, me, let me get a little sidetracked here. I don't know if you, you heard Sean Payton yesterday – on his conference call, you know, yesterday was Black Monday in the NFL, where yep. everybody six, know, seven, eight, coaches. Co- eight coaches, yeah, all crazy. in all, um, you know, two early in the season with right. with Cleveland and, with and Green Bay, yep. but six other coaches got fired, got let go. A quarter of the NFL franchises are looking for a, a head coach, mm-hmm. a quarter, mm-hmm. and I agree with Sean Payton when he kind of lamented the fact that the NFL's own network, the NFL network, was basically. Highlighting and 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 perpetuating Black Monday like it was some big, it like was some it was great, like, right. some grand thing, like almost like a draft and uh, a draft. And here, here are guys that are getting fired, losing their jobs, yep. and then their families are being affected yep. by this. By the, the, they'll have to uproot their family and go to another city, whether and be an assistant. They're out of work. They might not get another job this year. Right. So I'm with Sean Payton. I kind of feel like. Man, should we be highlighting this as some grand, some grand deal, or should we kind of just not even broadcast it? I, I know you got to release it. You're in the media. You have to, you have to cover it. I get it. But should we make it this, this big grand thing? And I don't think we should. So it shouldn't be a bullseye type of thing. There you go. You know what I'm saying? It should be something that you release a news story on or whatever. Blah blah. You move on from it. From it. You know. And and look, there's there's some guys that are definitely deserving of being fired, and there's other guys who could probably stand to have another year, like the coach at Arizona. Probably could have one more year, um, but it, it, you know it's just it's just you know it's it's one of those things that happens in that particular league. But why perpetuate it and make it seem as just like you said, put it on this grand scale when these these this is a terrible these thing are that's families happening. Families that are that are dealing with this, you know. And one of the things, and I'm not to get off the LSU subject or whatnot, but one of the things that I really have have been struggling with this year is Baker Mayfield and his treatment of Hugh Jackson on the, off the field. Uh, and, you know, it's just kind of kind of just. You know, every time they played Cincinnati, the way that he was acting, his antics and what he's doing, I don't think that's becoming of a professional. I think that the man, the man that, okay, so whatever, whatever happened from the time he drafted you to the time that he left or was fired, at some point you got to forgive him. Yeah, well, it came down and, to the fact that Tyrod Taylor was a starting quarterback over Baker Mayfield. But I can't get upset at anybody for that. Maybe I didn't outplay him at that time. Maybe I needed three more weeks or four more weeks. But you can't, you can't take that to the next level and then try to demeanor a man who actually selected you first in the draft. 
That's so the point. I just I just don't I just didn't like the way that he handled that situation. But we'll get back on moving track. forward. We'll see how it goes. TigerDetails.com. Jimmy Smith up next here on Tiger Tailgating on WWL. Hanging out with Herb Tyler here. I'm Christian Garrick. Tiger Tailgating. TigerDetails.com. Jimmy Smith joining us now. And Jimmy, I got to give you a hard time, man. You kind of flaked on me on New Year's, man. You got me all exercised, jazzed up. Maybe I was going to get to hang out with you. Then you flaked on me, man. What's up with that? Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year, brother. And it's it's adulting. It's adulting. <laughs> she tells me she's got work in the morning, uh, that there's no daycare open on New Year's Day. And uh, so it just kind of changed the whole plan. So we had to stay close on the North Shore. And nobody parties past 10 on the North Shore. So we were celebrating New Year's at about 1030 last night. <laughs> That's all right, Jimmy. I, I, I crashed around 1030 as well. So can't give you a hard time See, about we're, that. We're getting old, brother. Getting old. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Jimmy, so we've talked about a variety of things in the first hour. One in particular – I want to start with the championship round. I mean, the uh, the semifinal round of the college football playoffs. I, I can't, for the life of me, wrap my head around the idea of how the college football selection committee, anybody would say that they got this right, given us the matchup of Clemson and, and, and Notre Dame and Oklahoma and Alabama. I, I mean, Georgia clearly should have been up against, up against Clemson. And maybe you could make the argument, with hindsight, that Ohio State should have been the team ahead of Oklahoma. Yeah, and I think what the committee's really missing here is nobody seems to be looking at personnel. Yes. You know, uh, we can look at records and, and so on, and, and I know that has to play a huge role in this, right, uh, a team's overall win-loss record. But at the end of the day, you have to look at the, the rosters and how do these teams match up athletically. And when you have that big of a discrepancy athletically, as we see with Notre Dame on the field with some of these teams, uh, it just doesn't sit well with me. And uh, so when are they going to start actually taking in personnel and saying, hey, this is the matchup, you know, and, and there was no doubt in my mind, Georgia, um, you know, is if they're not number two in the country, they're number three. Uh, so they should definitely be in the playoffs. There's no way that, that Oklahoma could stay on the field with them or Notre Dame could stay on the field with them. So if we don't have the four best teams, what the heck are we doing? Why are we doing all this if we're not trying to get the four best teams? And if all we're going to look at is records, uh, then, I mean, LSU should probably drop out of the SEC, join one of these other conferences, or not even join a conference like Notre Dame, schedule a bunch of average football teams, and, and say, well, hey, they earned it. They beat a bunch of top 50 teams. I mean, that's that's basically what we're doing here. Jimmy, I want to ask you this, too. I wrote uh, a piece online at WWL.com. College football has a parity problem. Because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not at all uh, intrigued by – I mean, by Alabama and Clemson, again, three out of four years. It's almost like the NBA. Is there a way to fix the parity issue that is very clear um, doesn't exist in, in, in college football? Now, honestly, I think as long as Nick Saban is still at Alabama, you're going to have this issue. Yeah. You know, and whether it's Clemson yep. or Ohio State or another team, there's always going to be another team that looks like they can compete with Alabama, and then there's everyone else. And that's all we're ever going to have as long as you have Alabama with the number one recruiting class every year who has three or four stockpiled NFL running backs on the roster and, and a, and a first-rounder on the D-line every year and first-rounders at linebacker every year. When you have that type of program, um, it's going to be hard to really get parity. You have Alabama and everyone else. Think Clemson's about this. made a nice – yeah. Think about this, Jimmy. <laughs> I wrote – this was included in what I wrote. Nick Saban, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get another national championship unless Nick Saban decides he's done. Like in other words, he's gonna. I agree with you. You're gonna. It's gonna be this way until Nick Saban decides. All right, I don't want to coach anymore. But then, what happens? What happens after that? Dabo Sweeney comes from Clemson 
to Alabama. So Alabama's set up for the next decade, two decades, potentially, rule college football. Yeah, and I, and I tell people that all the time. Uh, I hear a lot of LSU fans saying, oh, I can't wait till Saban's gone. How much longer? And I tell them, hey, they're, they've already groomed his replacement. And you could make the argument right now, he's the second best coach in the country yep. at Clemson and Dabo Sweeney. I think uh, Dabo is a walk-on in Alabama. He's an Alabama guy. So mm-hmm. there's no way Dabo turns down that job if it becomes available. And if you're Alabama – and Nick Saban moves on, who better to hire than the only guy that's been able to beat you for the last four years? <laughs> right. Well, and so it, think... here's the other thing, too, with that, Jimmy, is I think the other program, or let's say you got your Georges out there, whatever, but LSU is a program that can, can, can you know, compete for that position. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have everything we need facility-wise there. We've got we've got any, anything that we need, the, the you know, the, the school is going to give to us and make sure that we have everything that we need. Plus, we can recruit. Now, here's the thing, and correct me if I'm wrong. I said earlier that Nick Saban brings in a staff that can truly, truly develop the guys that he has. Even though he's getting that top-tier talent of an athlete, they are absolutely mm-hmm. getting the top-tier coaching as well. So is that something that LSU can do moving forward? That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and I mean, in all honesty, LSU is not that far away from Alabama. Absolutely. Okay? And, 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 and you can say that about some of these other teams. Um, there's a few key differences, and you really hit on a big one right there, and that's the development of the players. LSU doesn't recruit that much you know, worse than Alabama. No. Alabama's just barely ahead of them in rankings every year, um, but it's the development, and then it's also the quarterback and the defensive line play. Mm-hmm. Those are the three biggest differences. is the development of the players from the coaching staff. I mean, you have probably four former head coaches on Nick Saban's staff in any given year. You know, he's got analysts making 50 grand a year that were running SEC programs a year or two ago. Um, And so that's how he builds his staffs. And then you have the dominant defensive line play and really good quarterback play. And those are the biggest differences. If LSU can start closing those gaps in some of those position groups and start improving their development of players, yeah, I mean, it's, it's. it's it's possible. It's quite possible they could play with Alabama on the same field in the next year or two, and and and, and leave with a W. I, I don't think they're that far off. I think honest. I think we're moving closer and closer to that. I, I truly do. Not you know, it's it's a couple of years ago the coach O hiring was frowned upon, if you will, by by it a lot paying. of people, it by a paying. lot of people. Yeah. And but but look, mm-hmm. let me tell you something right now. This year it paid off. I'm gonna tell you his excitement, mm-hmm. his his understanding of the game, and. His belief in the program has really catapulted them to that nine and three record that we have should be ten and two right now. Um, but moving forward, what do you think Coach O has to do in order to move into that upper echelon of head coaches? Yeah, I think it's really to shore up those positions. I was talking to a friend the other day, and he was like, "Man, where's all this great uh, NFL talent on the defensive line we're accustomed to seeing at Baton Rouge?" Um, and, and it really made me think, when's the last time LSU's had a, uh, a guy like they have Johnson that's as disruptive as he is? I mean, we might be going back to Drake Nevis mm-hmm. since we've had uh, a guy in Baton Rouge that could take over games as a defensive lineman. You've had some good ones, Michael Brockers and Vinny Logan and guys like these. These were like dominant forces. So when LSU starts to put two or three guys like that on the field, I think you're going to see a different ball game, um, and and the way they're recruiting now, Siaki, uh, Ika coming in, and, mm-hmm. and Ishmael Sopcher likely lined up from meet, uh, heading to Baton Rouge. Guys like that are difference makers. So, uh, if you have a couple of them in this class, then 
realistically, we're probably two where, two years away before you start seeing them make that type of impact on the college level. So uh, when you look at it from a personnel standpoint, they're really not that far. A couple good recruiting classes at those key positions, quarterback and in the trenches, and now you're competing with Bama because at the skill position, uh, you know, especially on defense, linebacker and in the secondary, and and in most years the running back position and the wide receiver position, it's it's right, it's right there. It's right what there. what. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Smith, TigerDetails.com at Jimmy Detail on Twitter. Jimmy, I got a text here at eight seventy eight seventy. How about you limit the number of five star players, thus spreading out the talent across the land? First off, no. I'm a capitalist. All right, no, I don't, can't do that. I, I don't yeah, like I that. Socialist recruiting, yeah, right? yeah, no. and on uh-uh. top of that, on top of that, though, those rankings are subjective anyway. You're right. I mean, they a five-star are. guy could end up playing like a three-star guy. A three-star yeah. guy can end up being a five-star guy. So I think that those rankings, I don't like that idea. No. Yeah, I'm with you on that because with the rankings, and I've done them for a long time, you're projecting a 16, 17, 18-year-old and what they're going to look like when they're 21, 22. Right. And it's just difficult. And we see it with the NFL. They project how a 22-year-old looks like when he's 25, and they get it wrong a lot, and they get paid millions to do it. So uh, it, it's all subjective. It, it's really um, hard to, to tell exactly how these guys are going to develop. And I'm going to tell you now, Alabama's loaded with five stars. They have a lot of three- and four-star guys yep. that contribute and become first-round picks, second-round picks in the NFL. Eddie Jackson is one of the best free safeties in all of football right yep. now in the NFL for the Chicago Bears. Uh, he didn't get an offer from Alabama until January, and he only had three Power 5 offers in LSU, Alabama, and Florida State. Wasn't a very highly sought-after guy. They, they they saw some talent. They developed him. He became a star. So it's not just recruiting five stars, yep. and you definitely don't want to handcuff a program and tell them, ah, you've yep. hit your allotment of five, five stars. Uh, you can't take this. Kid. That goes That's back it. to development. That's yeah. it. And, look, the other thing, too, is it just becomes – it comes to the fact that, hey, if you want to beat Alabama and Nick Saban, well, learn, learn, and, and, and improve as a coach, as a recruiter, and 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 the development of talent. That's been the biggest difference. Is That's it? why Alabama is who they are. Yep. They don't just procure the talent; they develop the talent. Yep. Jimmy Smith, TigerDetails.com, with us for the next half hour. We will break down LSU and UCF today in the Fiesta Bowl after our CBS and local news headlines here on WWLAMFM.com. Along with Jimmy Smith, TigerDetails.com, you do not want to know the conversation Herb and I just had off the air at Jimmy Detail. We're more than welcome to have it with you off the air. Yes, it is not <laughs> suited for uh, on-air consumption. Jimmy, let's let's break down LSU-UCF <laughs> today in the, uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> I'm a little distracted. Uh, nonetheless, Jimmy, UCF, good program, right? Run, have won 25 in a row. But don't you agree that in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, the sheer physicality and the mass and the power that LSU has is going to eventually break them? It could. It could and possibly it should if they can get off the field in the first half. The The issue I see for the LSU defense here is, is the tempo that UCF's offense runs with. Uh, they run with a lot of tempo. You really have to have your, your guys down on your calls and your signals, uh, make sure there aren't any communication issues. Uh, but they have a lot of backups playing on that back end today uh, at LSU. And so I could see some issues where you you have some communication issues, some guys not seeing the calls and in the wrong coverages and blowing assignments and things of that nature and, mm-hmm. a, and a gas defensive front that can't really get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, because uh, because of the tempo of the game and how thin they are up front, if it starts to play out like that, yeah. then I think LSU will be the one reeling um, in the second half. But if they're able to kind of punch them in the mouth, win the line of scrimmage, which yeah. I think they should be able to do, like you said, Christian, 
uh, and get off the field and, and give their guys some rest throughout the first half. And I think you're going to see them lean on UCF in the second half, and, and it could just be too much for the Golden Knights to to really you know, withstand. They aren't built for that. Yeah, Jimmy, that's the, that's the biggest thing that kind of, you know, makes, you know, kind of, I guess, worries me a little bit, if you will. Not really worried, but, you know, we have guys that are already out, starters that are out, and then now we have backups that are in. The tempo that UCF runs with, will the backups have backups, you know? And then, right. you know, are they going to be mentally prepared and make the right checks and, and, and be in the right calls and situations? But, you know, the biggest thing that I, I really see, I mean, I know that's an issue. That's going to be an issue. But I think those guys that we have will be hungry enough to to want to be able to play hard and win and, and do a great job because this is one of their only showings for the year. The biggest thing that I think is, I think that this is one of those games, you know, it's 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 not it's a trap game, but not a trap game. UCF is running on this high. They have an opportunity to play a really golden, you know, team that that that's tradition rich. Um, that 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 is really one of the best teams in the country in the LSU, in my opinion, top six all day long. And here's a chance for them to make a statement, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't want us to come out thinking that this is just a normal UCF team or or whatever team that's not a Power mm-hmm. Five conference team. And then that team comes out, meaning UCF comes out playing like a power five. What do you think? Yeah, and I think, I think you hit it on the head is the mindset of LSU players. If they're looking at UCF as just, ah, it's just another team. They don't belong on the field with us. Oh, let's finally shut these guys up. Everybody thinks they're good. Well, if that's the mindset they have, they're going to be in for a rude awakening. UCF yeah. is really good. They're a really good football team. You know, uh, would yeah. they be 12 and 0 in a Power Five conference? No, absolutely not. Um, but they would be. They might be a seven, you know, seven and three or something like that. You know, seven and right. Five, they would. They would be respectable. Mm-hmm. I can promise you that. Yeah. Um, and they would have a winning record in the SEC this year. I believe that. Um, so they are a quality football team. And if LSU doesn't take, if LSU takes them lightly, uh, they're going to be surprised. And and going back to the backups, and you you hit it on a good point. Do the backups have backups? You really need to have rotations in games like this when you have teams that snap the ball ninety times on offense per game. LSU's backup cornerbacks were wide receivers earlier this yeah, year. Yeah. Okay. That's their two backups. Yeah. Dante Kirkland and uh, I forget the other guy's name. Manny Netherly. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I mean, so Manny Netherly's just learning how to play the the cornerback position this year for the first time in his life. John Trey Kirkland was a high school quarterback, moved to corner for LSU, then moved to wide receiver. Now back at corner out of necessity. Those are your backups. So, I mean, uh, it, the game's going to be won there. If these guys can actually show up play and cover these receivers, they're going to win this game. If they have some issues in coverage, a UCF's going to hang around and, and possibly run LSU off the field late in this game. Jimmy not. Smith, TigerDetails.com, at Jimmy Detail on Twitter. More with him coming up here on Tiger Tailgate. I want to talk about Derek Stingley Jr. and his presence during the uh, 15 bowl practices for LSU. This is Tiger Tailgate here on WWL. Reading a really funny article online that um, says basically new, uh, 10 New Year's resolutions – I wish my toddler would make, and Jimmy, I'm sure you can relate to this. Um, I will master the word yes because last year I mastered the word no. Jimmy, you, you've been there. Dude, that's all I get all day is no. Sit here, Daddy. This is Boss Baby in my house. He runs this house. I don't know how it is and how it was in your house, Herb, and so on, but this kid runs my house. He's only two. Uh, he's at my mom's today, thank the Lord. Um, but he's a he's a handful, but we love it. Enjoy every second. Get ready for a lifetime of that, brother. It won't stop. Um, 
Oh, I've seen it. I saw how yours yanked you around, and you were you basically holding his pocket throughout his whole teenage life. I yep. know how it is. They become your life. There's no doubt. And, and then you know what's going to eventually though. happen? He's going to become your best friend. I promise you. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can see that. Well, I can already see that for sure. Yep. I love He's this got one. dad coming in at 1030 on New Year's Eve, okay? <laughs> yep, yep. I love this one that, that you wish your toddler could make. Make peace with the fact that I'll never be able to decorate the house like I want to. I know the walls would look great staked in Crayola red, but my parents will never understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much truth to oh, that. Yeah. That's a great one. Jimmy Smith, TigerDetails.com. What's on the site right now, man? Oh, a bunch of previews from uh, for the game. We have our staff predictions up. I actually went with UCF in this game, believe it or really? not, gentlemen. I believe you. Yep. Yeah, went with UCF. I just, you All know, some of the scenarios we talked about. Yeah. yeah, I think it, you know, when you have that many impact players on defense off the field, I just, against an offense like this, I think it's just going to come and it's going to show up on the field and we're going to see it. Well, look, Mil- so, uh, Mackenzie Milton, the quarterback for UCF right now, has 2,600 yards passing. I think he's right at 60% completion. He's 25 touchdowns and six interceptions. He's playing great. And we got, we've got backups out there, so we'll see. Yeah, and backups, and it's been a potent offense for two years now, you yeah. know, and they and they can beat you in all kinds of ways. And so um, I'm looking for the secondary players. Are we going to see Terry Vincent step up playing that boundary corner, and are we going to see uh, Terrence Alexander, the transfer from Stanford, is he going to step in and look like he's a an NFL-caliber player? Because that's the kind of play I think you're going to need from the secondary today, NFL-caliber coverage. Mm-hmm. And are you going to be able to get that from the backups? That's the key. Jimmy, um I want to talk about Derek Stingley Jr. During the 15 bowl practices, he was with LSU. And all the reports say that he might have been the best cornerback in a Tiger uniform. Yeah, and we heard Aranda say that publicly the other day, which, you know, I I, I don't know why I'm still shocked some with this regime. They don't really hold things close to the vest when it comes to talk about players. We heard we've seen O kind of throw some position groups under the bus. And and so when Aranda came out and said, yeah, this 17-year-old Derek Stingley is probably the best guy we had during practice this week, uh, it says a lot about Derek Stingley, but it also says a lot about the other guys that were on the practice field, right? right? Yeah. Um, but it was, Derek Stingley goes in there, 17 years old, um, just two days removed from taking his final exam at, at, exam at Dunham High School, mm-hmm. and in his first practice, um, dominates. You know, And that's the reports I got from current players, from coaches, from parents that were there at practice, uh, you, you know, and he, he's getting one-on-ones in college practice, and he's picking the quarterback off. He picked Joe Burrow off on a one-on-one in a college <laughs> practice days after taking a high school exam. That's unheard of. Uh, this kid is a special talent. Um, I know they're pushing him to wear number seven. He feels like he needs to play and earn it before he's able to put on the number seven. Uh, I have a feeling by the end of spring practice, they're going to say that young man's earned it. Jimmy, does he have a return game element? Yes. Yep. He is dynamic with the football in his hands. Um, he's got that, that subtle quickness where you can make that first guy miss and punt returns. He's strong as a ox. He'll run through arm tackles. He's elusive, and he's got a burst that is elite. Uh, the speed this guy has. I mean, everything you saw in Patrick Peterson with the, with the, just the dynamic yeah. athlete with the ball in his hands, being able to create with the ball in his hands, Derek Stingley's got all of that. So I think he, uh, you know, is definitely a punt returner. And I know after his first practice, they do that thing where they catch the balls and they don't set them down and they see how many they can catch. The kid never caught a college punt, and he caught six that day and won that competition. So that's the kind of talent you have. 
And I, I don't think it's long before he takes the field as the starting corner, as the starting punt returner, and one of the most dynamic uh, defensive football players in all of college football. Yeah, I'm excited to see him play. The young man is very, very humble. I've always talked really great about him, his, his dad, his mom, the family. They're really good people. And the thing about him, man, is, is the fact that, like you said, he, he said he wants to earn that number seven. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to be given to him. That, and to me, that tells me that it, it, it's so much greater than him pounding on his chest. And, that, and that's the type of player that I always like. I'm, I'm always about the guy that wants to earn whatever it is that he, he wants to get out of life, period. And, I, and I'm all about it. Really good yeah, and I, I was, we'll see. I was telling his dad they should write a book on how to raise a five-star child. It's amazing the job they've done with this young man. Yeah, he's so hum- so humble. Uh, mother's a cop. Dad was an arena football coach. Last year, Dad traveled to Shanghai yes. because he was the head coach yes. of the Shanghai Warriors. I saw that I arena saw that. football league team. I mean, it's just a great family. The kids humble as can be, and and when you're projecting players, um, part of it part of those projections goes into will he maximize his talents? Will he get the most out of what God's given him? And when you talk and know and get to know Derek Stingley, you feel you like he's he going to yeah, he's going to tap into all that and more. And Jimmy, the other thing too that I want to mention is the fact I think a couple years back um Derek had an opportunity to go to I think IMG out in Florida. Correct. And and they made a decision to keep him at Dunham, which I thought was a noble thing to do. And something that he did, he wanted to stay committed to his, his teammates that he had played with for two years and uh, give a commitment to his coach in his school, man. I thought that was phenomenal, and I think that's awesome. That says a lot about the young man. Yeah. Uh, and, and let's be honest, Dunham is in a state power in football. No. That is a K-12 school. They've never seen a talent like him. He never faces a talent like himself on Friday nights. And he elected to pass up IMG yep. uh, to stay home. That says a lot about their thing. Yep. Jimmy Smith, TigerDetails.com, at Jimmy Detail on Twitter. Jimmy, when we come back from the break, I want to talk about uh, the National Signing Day coming up in February where LSU can sew up a really good class. Ishmael Schaffner, I want to talk about him next year on Tiger Tailgating on WWL. Early National Signing Day came and went. LSU capped off a solid class. They're not done. Hanging out here on Tiger Tailgating, Herb Tyler, Christian Garrick, along with Jimmy Smith, TigerDetails.com. One recruit that uh, hasn't sent in his uh, national letter of intent, Ishmael Schaffner from Amid High School. Where does, does LSU have the inside track? Is he gonna is he gonna go to Baton Rouge? The question everybody wants to know. Uh, you know, I'm a part of this group on private group on Facebook. Uh, David Pope, Blake McGraw, all these guys they ask me all the time. Uh, is Ishmael Sopcher going to LSU? And I really believe he is. Um, I think this kid's always kind of uh, dreamt of playing in an LSU Tigers uniform. Uh, I think they are in position to strike gold with him. Uh, Alabama's been pushing for him very hard. I even think they kind of took the lead at one point during the season after a, a visit he took there for the Missouri game. But uh, I think LSU's in the position to land Ishmael Sopcher and his his friend and teammate, Devontae Lee, a big four-star receiver, um, which would be a huge get for Ed Orgeron and company. They haven't been able to lock down that Tanshapahoa Parish area uh, for years now. And there's been a lot of talent leaking out of that 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 part of the state heading to Alabama and, and otherwise. So if they can lock that area down, that's about the last part of the state really giving them them problems at this point. Uh, Orgeron's done a good job putting the fence around the state. If he can come out victorious with the three from Tangipahoa Parish, that is a, a huge feather in his cap. What's the the ceiling for Ishmael? You know, I think Ishmael could be one of these disruptive guys that we were talking about earlier. Um, He's about 300 pounds, but he's got a really quick first step. 
He's heavy-handed, doesn't really use his hands um, to, to the level you would like to see of an elite prospect. But when you're 6'3", 300 pounds and physically dominant, you often uh, develop some bad habits. So Orgeron's going to have his work cut out for him to get him to be uh, consistent in using his hands to beat blocks. But uh, the kid's got all the gifts. You know, and I think LSU really needs to be more disruptive on the edge at that defensive end position, playing that four-tech, that two-gap defensive end. They need a guy that can run some plays down and, and, and actually make plays from the hash to the sideline, and I think Ishmael can certainly do that. I don't know if he'll contribute right away. Um, some fundamental issues that he needs to improve on, but by year two or three, he could be a real difference maker for that defense. Jimmy, Coach O talked during the, uh, the little break there, 15 practices, before they got into that. He talked a lot about wanting to improve the offense. I want to see more creativity. What do you think we're going to see different in this LSU offense today? Yeah, you know, and, and it's just – it's become – it's become easy to, to, to tell what's next. Yep. You know, when, when they go pass protect, it's this simple for me. At the snap, if the running back and the tight end stay in, you know you've got two or three downfield routes developing, and that's the play. If they don't stay in, you're looking – they're going to hit a hitch or a curl or something quick. You know, you would like them to, to, to mix things up a little bit more. Um, I don't know if we're going to see a ton of that today. I do think LSU, knowing that they have the physical – advantage up front on with their offense i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised to see them running some more tempo let's see how ucf's defenses uh defense adjust to to lsu running some tempo and and running smash mouth football coming downhill play after play after play ucf's pretty good up front titus davis nate evans uh john curtis linebacker uh first team all conference linebacker for the american athletic conference those guys can play but they're thin up front too so I mm-hmm. think you could see some more tempo on offense um, to try to challenge that UCF defense. I don't know if we're going to see a lot of things we're, we're not accustomed to seeing. I think you're still going to see a lot of the basic elements of this offense uh, under Stevens, running more concepts, not really drawing up plays to get guys open, more or less drawing up plays to give Joe Burrow time, hoping that the receivers can win one-on-one on the outside. I don't know if you're going to see a ton of creativity today, but it sounds like they're moving towards that in the future for next year, which I'm sure will have a lot of LSU fans excited if they can finally get some exciting offensive football out of Baton Rouge. Well, I can tell you this. I'm looking forward to seeing Jamar Chase and, um, and Marsh, mm-hmm. Terrence Marshall get, get, get their fair share of balls today and then moving forward next year and the years after that. But one thing that's been impressive to me is the, the recruiting class with the offensive linemen that we have um, inked in so far. And these guys seem like they are really on board to – becoming great and doing well for the Tigers and taking down, you know, Alabama and Crimson Tide and just SEC football and the national championship or whatnot. How do you see that moving forward with the new addition of some offensive linemen that we have? Do you think that would help Coach Innsminger in drawing up some plays specifically to get, you know, some other guys involved in the game plan? Not today, but moving forward in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're on the right track, um, rebuilding that offensive line. LSU's had 10 guards on its roster every year for the last 10 years. That's just kind of how Les Miles recruited. Um, You didn't have many prototypical light-footed, quick-footed tackles on the roster, and so that's been a a problem this year. You have a guy like Sadiq Charles playing out of position. That guy's a guard, maybe a right tackle. 
they have him playing left tackle out of necessity. Um, so I think they're definitely rebuilding this offensive line group. You have everybody basically coming back next year except for Garrett Brumfield. A lot of these young players individually have shown that they are talented and they should be really good in time. We just need to give them that time. Unfortunately for LSU, they didn't have time this year. They played the toughest schedule in all of college football. Mm-hmm. And so Insminger has been handcuffed all year. How do you have a productive, explosive offense when you've got to sit in max protection 60% of your passing plays? You just can't. Yeah, there aren't yeah. any checkdowns. There aren't any checkdowns for Joe Burrow. I mean, it, he's, he's limited in what he can call and what this offense can accomplish. But I think they are improving this offensive line. A guy like Thomas Perrin. Uh, Thomas Perry should become a really good right tackle. Cardell Thomas, Anthony Bradford, those are dominant physical beings up front. So I think they're on the right track on the offensive line. Jimmy Smith, TigerDetails.com. Thanks again for the time and Thanks, happy, new year. happy New Year. Semper Fi, I'm out. Herb, do your thing, man. Hey, man, 31-30, LSU today. Go Tigers!